Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm with your host, Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Legal Toolkit podcast here on the Legal Talk Network. If you were looking for the remote control, I can't find mine either. I'll be of no help there. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, welcome home. And if you're Cam Newton, who's just signed with the New England Patriots, get ready to listen to some really boring press conferences this year. As always, I'm your show host, Jared Correa. And in addition to casting this pod, I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based law practice management consulting services for law firms, bar associations, and legal vendors. Check us out at redcavelegal.com. I'm also the COO of Guinean Software Inc., which offers chatbot software built specifically for law firms. Find out more at www.gideon.legal. But here on Legal Toolkit, which is a podcast you're listening to right now, we provide you with a new tool each episode to add to your own legal toolkit so your practices will become more and more like best practices. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how to deal with isolation and loneliness which is about as timely a topic as you're going to find out there right about now. We're recording this uh, prior to July 4th weekend, and everybody's staying at home. Really interesting times we live in, right? But before I introduce today's guest, uh, let me take a moment to thank our sponsors. We would like to thank Alert Communications for sponsoring this podcast. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568. Scorpion is the leading provider of marketing solutions for the legal industry. With nearly 20 years of experience serving attorneys, Scorpion can help grow your practice. Learn more at scorpionlegal.com. Abby Connect has delivered premium live receptionist and answering services to lawyers since 2006. You can try them out for free at abbyconnect.com. TimeSolve is the number one web-based time and billing software for lawyers. Providing solutions since 1999, TimeSolve provides the most comprehensive billing features for law firms, big and small. www.timesolve.com. Okay, now that we're all set there, my guest today is J.W. Freiberg. We're going to call him Terry. He's the author of the new book, Surrounded by Others and Yet So Alone, A Lawyer's Case Stories of Love, Loneliness, and Litigation. Terry holds a PhD from UCLA and a JD from Harvard Law School. A former assistant professor of sociology at Boston University, he served for more than 30 years as general counsel to more than a dozen of Boston's mental health and social service agencies. So, Terry, thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure, indeed. I assume your July 4th plans are a little bit stilted this year as well, just like everybody else's. You're staying home, I'm assuming. Just as you described. (laughs) Right. So, first of all, let me tell you, I got the press kit for your new book, which we're going to talk about in a second. And may I say, very sweet photo with the bow tie. You can really pull that off, and not a lot of people can do that. So congratulations <laughs> to you. Oh, if we had time, I could tell you a couple of bow tie stories. Can you give, can you give me a single bow tie story? I would love to hear one. All right. I was, uh, I was sitting at a council table, defense side, on a, on a litigation jury trial matter, and there was one witness who was deadly to my client. And I had a very low chair, so I was low compared to the desk, in this ancient desk in this ancient courtroom. My elbows were on the desk, and I started fiddling with my tie. And the next thing I knew, I undid it and retied it in my 
idiosyncratic way in super slow motion. <laughs> and at the end, the uh, judge took a break and said uh, there'd be cross-examination after the break. And on the way out of the courtroom, the bailiff said to me, good move, counselor. The four women on the jury never heard a word that witness said. <laughs> <laughs> well played. See, I knew that would come in handy. That's like a superpower. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move from bow tie stories to talking about your book. So you've got a new book called Surrounded by Others and Yet So Alone, but this is actually part of a loneliness trilogy, right? So can you talk to me a little bit about why you started writing these books in the first place and like how your latest book is the capper for what you've done to this point? Sure. So when I came out of law school, I flowed into a great big Boston firm and did some years there and got trained. It was called Hale and Door. It's gone now. It's Wilmer Hale. Um, and then I got a chance, an offer, if I went to a smaller firm with more modest fee structure, to be general counsel to uh, the Home for Little Wanderers. It was actually the largest and, and the oldest in the whole country, a children's social service agency. And I did that. And before I knew it, I became Boston's psych lawyer because I had the double degrees. Right. And so uh, the interesting part of the work that I did, besides, you know, leases and uh, loans from banks and all that sort of paperwork, the interesting stuff was clinicians called me up for legal consultation over 30 years. And that kept growing as they tried to comply with more and more regulations and uh, so in answering their questions, I heard uh, stories, and those are the stories that form my database now that I write from. Oh, that's and cool. then what happened was there were more and more reports of loneliness as loneliness came upon the scene and made itself felt in the presentation that clients had to these um, mental health clinicians, along with other issues, but loneliness was one of the growing issues. Hmm. Yeah. And I love the title of your book because it, I think, perfectly describes like a modern society in which like you feel like you're surrounded by a bunch of people all the time, yet everybody feels a little bit more lonely. So one thing that I think is interesting is that you define loneliness in like a very specific way, which is different from the standard definition. So could you dive into that a little bit? Sure. For me, loneliness is a sensation like hunger or thirst or fear. It comes from the parietal lobe of the brain. We share that with lots of other mammals. For example, the cetaceans, the sea mammals, mm. are a lot like us, family-based, small pod herd animals. And we feel lonely. We feel hungry before we think about being lonely or think about what I'm going to get for dinner. There are mm. sensations that come up to your consciousness from another part of your brain. And that has enormous implications for clinical work that you do with people. It's more like dealing with trauma victims than it is like dealing with a narcissistic personality disorder, just in case you know anyone who has that problem. <laughs> I do not. Um, I've never been compared to a whale before, but that's kind of cool. I feel like I'm kind of more like an orca now than I was five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> so that's a really interesting place to start. And I want to return to that question of like, how this is affected by the brain in a second. But one of the things I want to talk to you about is like the role of technology and how that plays in society today. Like, especially now that everybody's quarantined, like I know my kids are on screens more than they ever have before. So how does technology contribute to loneliness in a modern society? 
Well, I think it contributes in two very different, even contradictory ways. On one hand, uh, we have very powerful tests for loneliness. It's called the UCLA loneliness scale. So we could, with great validity and reliability, we can measure whether or not people are connected in a healthy way to others in their lives. And we know that the loneliest quintile of our population is Generation Z and the millennials. So the 18-year-olds to the 38-year-olds score more lonely than the rest mm. of us, even than, than senior citizens. And they've got their face oh, wow. in those machines all day long. So yeah. that could be playing a role there. On the other side of the coin, Zoom and, and FaceTime and other technical capacity to see who you're talking to is enormously helpful through this because when we see people, we are able to use our mirroring skills. So when we listen to people, this is as mammals again, uh, they do it too. You know, when you, when you startle a mammal like a deer and yep. he looks at you, right, or, or a squirrel, they look at you trying to reckon your intentions. Are you a predator or are you just passing through? That's called mirroring. And that's something that you need to have your eyes do for you pretty much. So being a grandparent, I can assure you one of the great tragedies of this time is one can't visit one's grandchildren so easily. Right. And the capacity to see them on FaceTime is extraordinary because it really allows the bond to play its role and the mirroring capacity to take place. That's interesting. Let me say one of the great tragedies of our time is that my grandparents can, our, our grandparents cannot watch my children. So I feel your pain on the other side of it. Um, but that's interesting though, that you mentioned like the mirroring and the videos, because I think like a lot of people have that Zoom fatigue now, right? They don't wanna be on video conferences all day, but that's, it sounds like you say that that's better than a phone call just because you can see people. Well, it's huge for fam, especially family things. Right. I'm very big, uh, just even theoretically on the role that family plays yep. uh, in people's lives, in children's lives, especially. It takes, it takes two points to define a line and two generations to define a lineage. So it's through the grandparents that children learn about their roots and their, and their family background and traditions. And that's a hugely important psychological basis. It, it's the mooring that a boat has to the mooring ball. All right, well, let's hope all those grandparents get to see their grandkids very soon. And on that note, let's take a break in the show here. We've reached the end of the first part of the episode, and let me draw your attention now to some words from our sponsors, and then we'll come back again for part two. Your legal work requires your full attention. So how can you build lasting relationships with new or existing clients while juggling your caseload? Try Abby Connect the friendly, highly trained, and motivated live receptionists who are well-known for providing consistent quality customer service and support to law firms just like yours. Every connection matters. So call Abby Connect today at 833-ABBY-WOW to get started with your free 14-day trial and $95 off your first bill. Now more than ever, an effective marketing strategy is one of the most important things your law firm can have, and Scorpion can help. With nearly 20 years of experience serving the legal industry, Scorpion has proven methods to help you get the high-value cases you deserve. Join thousands of attorneys across the country who have turned to Scorpion for effective marketing and technology solutions. For a better way to grow your practice, visit scorpionlegal.com. All right, thanks for coming back. I've returned from a quick Duncan run. 
I mentioned that because we got two Massachusetts guys on the podcast, right? So let's get back to our conversation with Terry Freiberg. We're talking about loneliness in modern society. Terry, so you mentioned this before, and I think this part of it is a really interesting component. Like, can you talk a little bit more about the role that the brain plays in terms of why we feel lonely, how we feel lonely, how we stop feeling lonely? Absolutely. So just as other animals train their young birds, we just had uh, house wrens uh, living in our plant outside, and it was fun to watch the whole cycle. They flew off yesterday. So they were busy training the little fledglings how to fly. Humans train their children how to connect, how to love. And what happens is during the, the parental cuddling, so how many, you, ha- you mentioned you have children, just think uh, how many kisses, how many hugs, how many reassurances have you give? Literally hundreds of thousands, right, mm-hmm. each of you. And what you're doing is, is, and we now understand the biophysiology inside the brain of what's going on. We understand what happens in a dog's brain when you teach it to roll over and then you give him a treat for learning the trick. There's a a neural pathway being formed between stimulus response and reward. And that happens inside the brain. So when we're busy nurturing children, hugging them, kissing them, soothing their wounds, reading to them, reassuring them that nighttime is okay, we're actually forming the neural pathways that they will then turn around and use to go out into the world and learn to make their own relationships. Hmm. So that's phase one. Phase two. Two, and this is what's worrisome about people being locked at home, if they, especially if we can't reopen schools in the fall, which I think is sort of an unknown at this point. Right. So now children have to go out and use those skills. And all of that free time play on, on the play field, in the hallways, talking to their non-sibling peers is where children hone their skills at forming and keeping connection learning how to become a friend, learning how to be admitted in a group, learning how to deal with rejection. Remember that in high school? Big lesson. <laughs> I was rejected um, once or twice. <laughs> yeah, we all were. Learning, learning how to deal with, how to identify and deal with the local bully. Right. All of those skills are being interrupted by children not being able to be out of the house, interacting in free time with other non-sibling children. And I'm really glad you mentioned that because I do think that is one of the undercurrents that's not being covered related to the pandemic is like all these kids are at home. They're getting no socialization whatsoever. And I think that's especially troublesome for like only children who don't even have siblings to engage with. So I'm going to return to that question in the third part of the podcast because I want to talk a little bit more about that. But like one thing I think is interesting is I want to talk a little bit about your lawyer background now. So the way you write these books, you utilize what you call case stories right? Which I think is almost like a very lawyerly thing to say, right? So why did you choose to use that method to write these books in the first place? And in addition to that, could you briefly go over like one of the case stories you use in your book so we can get an example of how that works? Sure. Uh, well, when I was a professor, before I was got to go to law school, become a lawyer, I wrote a couple of books, which must have been read by, you know, 600 people each or something. Because <laughs> they were very... Better than six. <laughs> yeah, they were so specialized, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. you, you had to be interested in a subtopic of a, of a dusty corner of another topic. Right. Um, <laughs> in contrast, everybody loves a good story, from children to high intellectuals. Everybody will sit down and listen to a good story. 
and it really has worked. The you know these books are widely read and a lot of commentary. I, I'm on a lot of these shows trying to be helpful in understanding these issues. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just an idea to communicate in a more open and egalitarian way. You know, you don't need to be a scholar to read uh, these books on loneliness. You did need to be one to read the former two. Right. <laughs> no, that's that's really helpful. Um, and I think you're right. Like, this sounds to me like the ending of Game of Thrones, right? Everybody likes a real good story. Well, let me ask you this. We've, we're producing a podcast for lawyers, right? So as a lawyer, like generic lawyer out there, what the lawyers need to learn or know about chronically lonely clients and how to deal with them? Because it sounds like that's an issue that's only growing in scope. It is growing in scope. Uh, loneliness, the word is only uh, from the year, about the year 1800. There was no loneliness in traditional society. Um, people lived in little communities, little villages, little ethnic communities of cities. Everybody knew everybody inside these small communities. There was no social space to grow lonely in. Hmm. It's in the big city, no family around you to speak of, uh, that you are indeed for the first time in human history alone. Uh, so it's an, it is a new phenomenon, and it's been growing exponentially. In 1990, 20% of people uh, reported themselves as being seriously, what I call chronically lonely. Wow. By, by 2010, that's 30 years later, we're at 35%. So more than one in three people will now identify and test out on the UCLA loneliness scale as really seriously divorced and and separated from others. They don't have anybody to telephone. No one calls them. They have no one to care about and no one cares about them. That's pretty sad. Then that's the highest level of the loneliness scale, I would imagine, chronically lonely, right? Right, um, right. So, so as a lawyer, if you have to deal with someone like this, what are some of the tactics that you could use? Like, it sounds to me like if you were a lawyer with a chronically lonely client, you may be the only person or one of a few people that they have any kind of communication with whatsoever. Well, I, you know, it, I tried to write about that recently. Uh, I think it was in Psychology Today. And the point of the article was, look, there are two kinds of lawyers, if you like. There are transaction lawyers who deal on one transaction. Yep. Can, you, can you help me sell my house? So you're only going to be talking to that client about matters to do with a real estate transaction. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. But if you're the family lawyer, if you have an ongoing relationship or if you're, or if you're counsel to a corporation or the equivalent mm -hmm. where you have an ongoing linkage, then you might think about keeping your eye out for loneliness just as you do for, let's say, alcoholism. And you might say to someone, if you're their ongoing lawyer, can we sit down and talk, Lou? I think you're drinking a little much these days. I'm hearing things that sound like the company's getting in trouble because you're not showing up. Can we talk about that? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, you might you might keep your eye if if you have that kind of legal relationship, uh, you might think about bringing it up just as you would uh, a gambling problem or an absentee problem or an alcohol problem. Right, that makes a lot of sense, and I think you're right to break it out between the two types of lawyers that are out there. Um, so this has been a really fascinating discussion for me, but we're going to take a quick break. So you can listen to some more words from our sponsors, but then come back for the next and last segment of the show. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. 
Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both Spanish and English. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com slash LTN. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients. At TimeSolve, our attorneys save on average over eight hours a month in billing work. That means more billable time and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. That's www.timesolv, leave off the e.com. Remember, that's timesolv.com. All right, so thanks for staying with us. I never left. Now let's continue our conversation with Terry Freiberg, who's been telling us what it means to be lonely in 2020. So let's find out some more. So the last question I asked you was about like how lawyers can deal with chronically lonely clients. So let's kind of flip that a little bit. So as you probably know, like lawyers have traditionally struggled with loneliness in a number of ways, and oftentimes they self-medicate, right? Like lawyers experience higher incidences of alcoholism and suicide than in general population. So why do you think it is that lawyers in particular get lonely, self-medicate, and how can that be addressed by attorneys, by society? Well, I think, I think uh, Shaw mentioned that I started in a monster firm, uh, yep. hundreds of lawyers, and young lawyers there were we're doing 3,000 hour a year, billing 3,000 hours. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to be older, having had a previous career and had a, a wife and a baby uh, and a mortgage and, and a, yeah. a life outside of school. Um, but uh, people get very involved and it, you can put as much time in as, as you've got as you can generate, uh, but it's not a healthy thing to do. And I think that the most useful thing I could say to you is that on the website that's designed around the books called the lonelinessbooks.com, there are, if you navigate the website, there, there are some buttons that lead you to some papers I write. And in one of them, I describe how you can take yourself the UCLA loneliness test. So it's 20 questions. It doesn't take any time at all to answer. They're simple questions. They read like, how often do you feel alone? Or how often do you feel that you have a lot in common with the people around you? So there's 20 questions, straightforward, but very well designed. And when you're done answering those 20 questions, which you answer on a scale of one through four, never through often, you'll have a real picture of whether you're connected to a bunch of people or whether you're really feeling disconnected. Oh, it's interesting. So 20 question tests. So folks get time to do that. So that's a good place to test that out and see where you fall on the scale. So one thing we've talked about kind of anecdotally throughout this podcast is like the enduring pandemic that everybody's going through, right? Which doesn't necessarily have an end in sight. We talked a little bit about how that affects children, but generally um, as somebody who studied this for a long time, like what are your thoughts currently about the fact that most people are essentially locked up at home, right? How is that going to increase loneliness? How is that going to affect people now and moving forward? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I do. And um, let me just break it down by three age groups. So sure. if we, I think we talked about children and I was yep. worried about lack of free play time when they work out their connection skills. 
Mm-hmm. So let's talk about seniors and their inability to see their grandchildren. In my view, grandparents are very important in the lives of their grandchildren. It takes uh, two points to define a line, but two generations to define a lineage. Mm. So that's how children get connected beyond their parents to their past and find their roots, which is extremely important for psychological health. Even with the best of adoptions, the overall statistics indicate that the lack of roots that adopted children have play their role in adult mental health. Uh, even the in the best of adoptions. Mm-hmm. So that's one issue. And of course, no, I don't think I've ever seen a sadder picture than parents locked up in these uh, senior centers with um, middle-aged children looking through the window as as illness comes the way of their parents. Yeah, yeah, that's really hard, I'm sure. I mean, we remember for all of human society, it was always multi-generation. The only reason we pay for senior care on one hand and child care on the other is because we've separated the grandparents from the grandchildren who they raised for the entire history of, of humanity. They didn't pay those bills because they had the built-in system to, right. for loving care. And then I think also with, with working adults, the third group, if you like, um, there are two kinds. There are those who are lonely. And remember, for those of us fortunate enough to have significant relationships that are nurturing and soothing to us, the small relationships of everyday life, the friendly hello from the coffee salesperson who you always stand in front of so you can share that little moment. Right. We all have a set of those. Okay. For those of us fortunate enough to have significant relationships, that's, that's icing on top of the cake. But for chronically lonely people or people who live alone, so that's about 33% of us, those relationships, that's all they have are those everyday life, polite friendly, momentary smile sharing, and so on. Imagine now those are gone. So you have to imagine that there are about a third of the people in this country sit home and there's not a chance they're going to get a phone call other than those annoying advertising calls. There's not a chance and they have no one to call. So for them, the loss of everyday interaction in society is enormous, but it's important for all of us. Right. All right. So We've dealt with some heavy topics today. So I want to ask you one last question. I want to make it a fun one, right? Let's end on a high note. So I was reading that you almost got disbarred for playing Don Quixote. Could you talk to me about that? This may even top the bow tie story. I'm interested to hear how this goes. Okay. Well, um, so my wife and I lived in a neighborhood that had no bakery worth buying bread at. And all of a sudden, this little French bakery opened with gorgeous, beautiful bread. It was just too good to be true. (laughs) And the two adjoining uh, shops, one became a a great little coffee shop and the other one a children's store. So suddenly there was life and energy and the line outside was animated and everybody was excited about waiting. And when you got inside, it was this beautiful shop where they made the bread in the back two thirds and the retail shop was in the front third so you could see the bread making going on fabulous three months into this heavenly situation the bread quality deteriorated awfully it turned out it got good again then it got bad again then it got good again and finally thick-headed me understood by looking at the big sunglasses that the master baker wore when the bread was awful she's being abused at home. This is yeah, a battered wife. Yeah, yeah. And, she, and 
she must cry the batter when she's hurting because the bread is salty and, and, and crustless and no fun. Mm. So then I decided Don Quixote was, I didn't have a client and I couldn't, you know, there is a thing called maintenance, right? I couldn't go right. up and make right. myself her lawyer. <laughs> right. So I, I, I finally got to the point where I put the uh, wonderful uh, private eye uh, who works for my firm on the case to figure out what was up. And he did a little surveillance and came back. Yep, that's a locked in battered wife. She returns home on the exact same train every night, never goes out other than going back to work the next day. Mm. So then I got involved trying to be helpful behind the scenes. And as good luck would have it, it, it sort of worked out. But uh, I don't know if you ever knew Judge Sheila McGovern, uh, who was a, a chief justice. Yeah, in, name rings in, a bell. But yeah, she, go was, ahead. she was a probate family court uh, mm. chief justice in Middlesex and just a wonderful woman whose career had been uh, in child care kind of things uh, before right. that. So um, w- when she found out that I was busy uh, working in the world with no law case uh, to support my <laughs> efforts or my sending out my private eye, <laughs> right. uh, there was a moment there where she was wondering whether she should report me over to the Board of Bar Overseers. But <laughs> in the end, it all worked out really well. And we were able to um, get that lady out of the house. And, um, oh, and there good. Was Another fun aspect of the story, which uh, I'll leave people to find in the reading. All right. Check it out in the reading. So you help somebody and you got your good bread back. I'd say that's a positive outcome. And speaking of outcomes, we've reached the end of yet another episode of the Legal Toolkit podcast. This was the one where we talked about loneliness. And we've been chatting with Terry Freiberg, author of Surrounded by Others and Yet So Alone, a lawyer's case stories of love, loneliness, and litigation. Now, I'll be back on future shows with further insights into my soul, the soul of America, what's left of it, and the legal market. If you're feeling nostalgic for my dulcet tones, however, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thanks again to Terry Freiberg for making an appearance as my guest today. Terry, can you tell everybody how they can find out more about you and about your books? Sure. The lonelinessbook.com, lonelinessbooks.com will take you to a a website which has uh, dozens of uh, talks I've done like this, uh, references to the books, reviews of the books, everything you could possibly want on the topic. Awesome. Check that out, thelonelinessbooks.com. And thanks again to my guest today, Terry Freiberg. Finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. This has been the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where lonely runs both ways. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.
If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.